I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Exodus chapter 17. We continue our Sunday morning sermon series through the Old Testament book of Exodus. I'll be looking at chapter 17, verses 1 to 7 this morning. If you haven't brought a Bible with you, you can find our passage today on page 59 in the Pew Bibles in the Pew Racks in front of you. As we have seen over the last several weeks, the Israelites in the wilderness have had a grumbling problem. In one sense, we could say it has been maybe a grumbling of their stomach, uh, but even worse, it has been a grumbling of their spirits and an outward grumbling of their voices. We have seen four instances of grumbling. They have grumbled at the Red Sea. Uh, They have grumbled at Mara, where the water was bitter. And in chapter 16, uh, they grumbled because of uh, food, and God provided for them manna and quail. Now, Uh, We come to a text in which uh, there is no water, and once again they they grumble against Moses. God again, uh, God graciously provides. We're going to also see God's grace in another way as well. It's God's provision not just for their physical needs, but as we're going to see in the text this morning, God provides another kind of gracious provision as well. So let's look at this passage together, Exodus chapter 17, beginning in verse 1. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, And you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? 
and thus far, God's holy word. Let's go to him in prayer. Our God, we pray that you would draw near to us in this time, that you would open our eyes this morning, that we might see wonderful things in your word, that you might both convict us and that you might encourage us by your goodness and grace. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we get into this text this morning. The first thing that I want you to do is actually turn to the New Testament. Uh, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I want us to look, first of all, before we open up Exodus, 7, uh, Exodus 17, I want us to look at 1 Corinthians 10 verses 1 to 4. Apostle Paul is writing here in 1 Corinthians 10, and he says this, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers, that is our Jewish fathers, were all under the cloud, that is God's cloud that was leading them in the wilderness, and all passed through the sea, the Red Sea, And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. The rock was Christ. Now, in one sense, we know, as I think good, good Presbyterians, as people who know our Bibles, who uh, hear the word preached from the Old and New Testament Sunday morning, Sunday evening, over and over again, week by week, that the Old Testament is about Christ. The Old Testament points us forward to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Exodus itself foreshadows Christ. Exodus, as we read in the Gospel of Luke. That's how uh, it is described in the Gospel of Luke, the Exodus that Jesus is going to accomplish in Jerusalem that Jesus talks about at his uh, transfiguration. But how is Christ the rock? I want you to reflect on that this morning. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 17. Now earlier, we saw that God was testing Israel. We saw that back in chapter 16. Back in chapter 16, verse 4, God says to Moses that he is, uh, that he is uh, not providing immediately, basically, and that he is going to provide manna for them, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. God is testing Israel, and now we see that Israel is putting God to the test. And the first thing I want us to see from our text this morning in chapter 17 is test and provision. Test and provision. First of all, we see test. We see the word test used uh, twice here 
in our passage. We see it in verse 2, where Moses says at the end of verse 2 to the Israelites, Why do you test the Lord? And we see it also in verse 7, toward the end of verse 7, that the place was called Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling. Actually, Meribah itself means quarreling. Massa means testing. And the end of verse 7 says, because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? So they are testing the Lord here in this passage. That's how this uh, passage is framed, beginning and end, testing the Lord. But let's begin with verse 1. Notice, first of all, all the congregation of the people of Israel move on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Notice that they move according to the commandment of the Lord. God is still there. God is still leading. God is still guiding them. God is still commanding them. God is still going before them. Yet, they come to a place where there is no water, and what happens? They are disgruntled. They're upset. And here, it is quite a different situation than the one that they faced at, at Mara. There, there was water, but it was bitter. They couldn't drink it, but at least there was some liquid stuff there. They just couldn't drink the bitter water. Here, there's no water at all. It's a more serious situation that they're facing. And their response is more serious. We read in, in verse 2, they, they quarreled with Moses. The word used here, we're going to come back to this, but the, the word used here, they quarreled, is a, is a different word than what we've seen earlier. It is a, a stronger word. It is a word that indicates hostility in their quarreling toward Moses. They quarreled. They demand water. Give us water to drink, as if somehow Moses can, can provide it. Give me what I want, when I want it, Moses. Really, in a sense, is what? Presuming on God himself. Verse 3, they say, they, the people thirsted out there for water, and they grumbled against Moses and said to him, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? He said something very similar back in, in 16.3 when they said, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. We've already seen that that was absolutely false. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole congregation with hunger. Notice a very similar statement, but notice how personal it is here. You brought us out to kill us and our children and our livestock 
with thirst. A more serious accusation here, more personal. Moses, you're attempting genocide here. Israel assumes the the worst and the the situation is certainly the worst one that they have that they have faced. Tensions are at an all-time high. In fact, in verse 4, the the Lord uh, Moses cries out to the Lord and says, This people is ready to stone me. They're ruled by their present circumstances. They've forgotten God's provision in the past. They're testing God. They're testing God's provision. They're not satisfied with what he has done. Not satisfied with what he is doing. What's the common question? What have you done for me lately? It's exactly what they're saying to God. What have you done for me lately? But notice they're also testing God's presence in addition to testing his provision. Verse 7, at the end of the verse, they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Are you really there, God? Sometimes we see this in places in Scripture where God's people ask this very question. The psalmist in Psalm 23 cries out to God, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my groaning? And of course, Jesus repeats that cry. On the cross, but there it's a cry of, of faith. Here it's, God has left us. Where have you gone? But again, think of the advantage that they have. They have the cloud. They have the fire. They still have the, the daily manna. All the signs that God is, is still there. As Phil Riken puts it, their, their unbelief is unbelievable at this point. And here's one of the keys to our own unbelief. Look around and see what we have. What God has given. Remember what God has has done, continues to do. As we saw last week, we we are called to remember the the Sabbath day at the end of chapter 16. Well, we also are to remember God's good gifts to us day by day. But in addition to the testing, we also see God's provision here in verses 5 to 7. God's provision. Despite their grumbling, God graciously provides. We see in verse 5 that 
God tells Moses to pass on before the people of Israel to take his staff and to take some of the elders with him. In verse 6, God says, I will stand before you on the rock. You will strike the rock and water shall come out of it and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the people. Notice here that the it tells us that the, the name of the, the place where this uh, happened was at, at Horeb, the rock at Horeb, it's called here in verse 6. Just as a side note here, this is where God first appeared to Moses in Exodus chapter 3 at the burning bush. We're, we're basically in the Sinai area now where God is going to give Moses the Ten Commandments. The amazing thing here is that we see God's amazing grace and his patience. He provides for his people in spite of their grumbling. This teaches us, brothers and sisters, that our salvation, sometimes even, oftentimes, even our God's provision does not depend on our goodness, our earning it, our deserving it. Despite our sin, grace overflows. It is beyond what we deserve. I heard the story once of a young man who was getting ready to go to graduate from college. And for many months, he had admired a beautiful sports car in a dealer's showroom. And knowing that his father was a wealthy, from a wealthy family, his father could afford it, he told him that that was what he wanted as a graduation present. That was all he wanted. As graduation day approached, he awaited signs that his father had purchased the car on the morning of his graduation, his father called him into his private study. His father told him how proud he was of him, how much he loved him. He handed his son a beautifully wrapped gift box. Curious but somewhat disappointed, the young man opened the box and found a lovely leather-bound Bible with the young man's name embossed in gold. Angry, he raised his voice to his father and said, With all your money, you give me a Bible, and stormed out of the house. Many years passed. The young man was very successful in business, had a beautiful home, wonderful family, but realized his father was very old and thought he should go, go see him. He had not seen him since that graduation day. Before he could make arrangements, he received a telegram telling him his father had passed away and willed all of his possessions to his son. He needed to come home immediately and take care of his things. When the son arrived at his father's house, sadness and regret filled his heart. He began to search through his father's important documents and saw the Bible that his father had given him for graduation. He opened the Bible and began to turn Through the pages, his father had carefully underlined a verse that was Matthew 7.11. And if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, 
how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? As the son read those words, a car key dropped from the back of the Bible. It had a tag on it with the dealer, car dealer's name, the same dealer who had the sports car that he wanted so badly for his college graduation. On the tag was the date of the graduation and the words written in large print, paid in full. So we have a heavenly father, brothers and sisters, who graciously gives to selfish, thankless, undeserving children. Praise be to God. We see test and provision, and secondly, and much more briefly, we see trial and propitiation in this same passage. Trial and propitiation. I want to look again at some of the language that's used here in Exodus chapter 17. The word for quarrel in verses 2 and 7. Why do you quarrel with me? Verse 7, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel. This is a fairly unique word in the Hebrew. It is typically used in legal proceedings, typically and often used in a covenant lawsuit. And in fact, really in this passage, though informal, we have all the aspects of a formal legal proceeding here. We have the Israelites presenting their grievances against Moses and thus against God himself. We see that they are basically ready to carry out the death penalty uh, against Moses. Verse 4, we see Moses saying they are ready to stone me. Stoning was the the punishment for a capital offense, especially murder. And what do the people of Israel say? He is ready to, to, you've brought us out here to kill us in the wilderness, us and our children. We see the presence of the elders. We have not seen the elders much since Moses appeared to them, went to them in Exodus chapter 4, only one appearance In Exodus chapter 12, when Moses went to tell them about the Passover and the Passover instructions, the elders, of course, in ancient Israel were the ones who passed judgment on disputed matters. They would have been the jury in trials. The words Masa and Meribah are both, were both legal terms. What we have here is a courtroom. It's a courtroom, essentially, is what is laid out before us in this text. But note something interesting. God says, I will stand before you on the rock. In other words, God allows himself to be put on trial. I will stand before you on the rock. Or as C.S. Lewis would put it, God is in the dock. God in the dock. 
But perhaps more significantly, by standing on the rock, when the rock is struck, basically God has identified with the rock. When the rock is struck, God himself is being struck. He is the one who is basically taking the punishment for the sin of his people. That's why it's so heinous later when Moses strikes the rock, when he's not told to strike the rock. And it's for that sin that Moses is banned from entering into the promised land. God is struck. And of course, this ultimately foreshadows the Lord Jesus Christ, who takes the blow, who is struck for the sins of his people. The Israelites deserve to be wiped out, to be punished for their rebellion in the wilderness, but God takes the blow for his people. This is what we can refer to as propitiation, that which turns aside the wrath of God. How does he do it? He does it here by taking it on himself, by taking judgment on himself. The people of God deserved his immediate judgment, but God in his grace and mercy took that judgment on himself. This foreshadows the work of Christ, a greater work on the cross, and so will we sing, and we will sing in just a few minutes, rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy riven side which flowed be of sin, the double cure, save me from its guilt and power. This is what we see in Christ on the cross. Christ took God's wrath on himself. He prayed, if possible, if possible, take this cup from me. What is that cup? Well, in the Bible, the cup is the cup of God's wrath. We see several occasions the, 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 the wrath of God being depicted as the, the cup of being poured out. Take this cup from me, the cup of your wrath. As he sweat, drops of blood. Yet this is what he endured on the cross. The very wrath of God. So that we, his people, would know his grace and his mercy. So as we transition to the Lord's Supper. We come today to remember what the Lord Jesus has done. Taking the wrath of God on himself, dying in our place. The bread that we will take partake of this morning represents the body of Christ that was broken for us, the cup, the blood of Christ that was shed for us. Helps us remember what Christ has done. 
And of course, the Lord's Supper is also a, a means of grace by which we are strengthened spiritually. Christ is spiritually present at this table before us this morning. We are warned in Scripture. We are warned about coming to this table that we are not to eat or drink in an unworthy manner. We are not to come to this table lightly. If you're here this morning and you are not trusting in Christ as your Savior, uh, Scripture says, do not come. Do not come to this table. This is for believers, those who believe, who are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, who are members of an evangelical church. You don't need to be a member of this church, but a member of an evangelical church. Scripture even says, those who eat and drink in an unworthy manner, eat and drink judgment on themselves. We want you to spare you of that. We also ask parents, if your children have not yet made a public profession of faith, though they may have already accepted Christ personally as their Lord and as their Savior, that they not come until they make that public profession of faith. But for all who are trusting Christ, who are members of a, and good standing in the church of Christ, this table is for you. Let's go to our God in prayer. God, how we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, who indeed was that rock who was struck, the one who paid the penalty. On our behalf. And so, oh God, how we thank you for the one who loved us, the one who gave himself for us. We thank you for that rock of ages who was cleft for us. And so, oh God, be with us as we come to this table this morning. Fill our hearts with joy and gladness for all that Christ has done for us. We pray this in his name. Amen.